Today we're going to reconnect with a sermon series that uh, we were a part of um, uh, before a season of where we had Chuck Legvold come in and preach a couple times to us and Greg Manship, and then we had uh, Palm Sunday. Last Sunday was Easter. Uh, and so in this series, which we uh, refer to as Everyday Christianity with Tim, Titus, and Phil, we were taking a look at Paul's teaching to, in 2 Timothy, uh, the letter to Titus, and the letter to Philemon. And two of those individuals uh, were pastors, protégés of Paul's, so they were part of the pastoral epistles, uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. And then Philemon was a church leader, and so Paul was instructing these folks who had impact on others. And we find that in his teaching, there really is teaching for every single day, that this is uh, not just foundational stuff that we can then flow forward on, but just here's how to live. This is what living with Christ looks like. Well, today's message is going to be from the letter to Titus. If you remember, Titus was pastoring on Crete. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Uh, Crete was known for kind of its uh, unhealthy behavior, kind of rambunctious behavior. Um, and so Paul's writing to Titus in the midst of that as he ministers to the Christians there and reaches out to um, the people in the community. Today, uh, our message is entitled, Teach and Show, Teach and Show. Our passage then, if you'll have your Bible uh, with you and open that up or make use of the screens. If you're participating in worship at home, I encourage you to grab your Bible as well. Let's go ahead and receive the Word of God this morning from Titus 2, 1 through 15. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. May God bless the reading of his word and may God shine his favor upon us as we come under his word this morning. Game changer. I'm sure you're familiar with the term game changer. In order just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me give a quick example. This is a baseball example, and so those of you who know that baseball is not my primary language, uh, 
you will be able to correct me on these things, I'm sure. But back in, 19, back in 1893, the pitching position was changed from a line 50 feet away from home plate to a, a rubber mound, a, 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 a piece of rub, rubber that was 60 uh, and one-half feet away from home plate. That would be a game-changer type of, of, of rule, that if you bring that in, all of a sudden, uh, batters have an extra 10 feet to get their eye on the ball. By the way, I understand that there's a couple of changes in store for this year. There's the pitch clock. Uh, pitchers now only have 15 seconds for the next pitch if no one's on base, and only 20 seconds if someone is, and they can only step off the pitcher's mound uh, or the rub, rubber slab twice during one uh, batting um, so that they're trying to speed up the game. We'll see if those are game changers or not. The game changer definition is this from Marion Webster. It says, a newly induced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity with some level of significance. So something that changes something, that there's a significant change that comes along We've made a correction. We've added something. We've substituted something else. Whatever it is, that factor, that element changes the experience. It changes the game. Last week, we celebrated the world's greatest game-changer experience of all time. The tomb was empty. Jesus had been raised. It changed everything and today, we're actually going to touch base with that a little bit. Uh, we have two parts to our uh, discussion this morning. One is new beginning, and the other is new relationships. A new beginning that impacts every day being a follower of Jesus. New relationships that impact every day Christianity. All right, so let's begin with new beginning. And this will be looking at the second half of our text first, because the second half of our text provides the context in which to understand the first half of our text. If you've ever played Monopoly, you know that when you land on chance or on community chess, that one of the possible cards you can pick up, it says, advance to go, collect $200. There are certain games, at certain times in certain games, when $200 can be a game changer. You're just hoping that, can I make it through the next round? Can, can, I, can I somehow land on free parking to get all the money in the middle of the board? It can be a game changer. thing, And sometimes it's not. Sometimes you already know all those hotels that are lined up on the next two sides of the board, there's no way you're going to get past them. And $200 just isn't going to make the difference. Well, we find that in Jesus there is quite a bit of a game changer. There's no if and or buts to it. Verse 11 reads like this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, we know that in Scripture that the all people are those who are in Christ, that all who are in Christ, that salvation comes. Jesus comes offering salvation in himself, for the grace of God has appeared. It changes everything. Even Jesus himself made a comment on this. We find this in uh, John's, John's Gospel, chapter 5. In verse 24, we find Jesus saying these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That person does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So through Jesus, we go from being dead, from being outside of a relationship with God, from being this spiritual dead person, that through Jesus, we come alive. That it's impossible to think of a greater transition than that. Paul picks up on it in his writing. Galatians 2.20, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live by faith, I live, uh, the, 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 the life that I now live um, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A game changer. Jesus doesn't just come along and give us a get-out-of-jail get card eventually that, that gets us into heaven, but he takes us from being dead to being alive, to being in relationship with him. Paul even writes in his letter to the Corinthians, the one that we know as 2 Corinthians, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. You know what a second chance is, right? I remember uh, back in school that every now and then you'd come across a teacher, usually one of the more compassionate teachers, they, they would give you your assignment back or maybe your test back. And, and it would already be graded, it already be corrected, and, and they'd give you that chance and they'd say, listen, here's your assignment back, and if you make all the corrections, I'll give you full credit for it. And, and you'd have that second chance Maybe you've had a second chance at work and there was something that took place and whether it was your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss and someone came in and said, you get a second chance. We want to invest in you. We knew what happened. We, we, we want to invest in you. Maybe, maybe it's with your parents. Maybe, maybe there was a crossing of a line and mom or dad, maybe a grandparent came to you and said, I want to give you a second chance. You know that feeling. Maybe it was in marriage. Something happened. A second chance. Well, it turns out that our second chance with Jesus is actually more like a first full assurance. It's not just a second chance to move forward as you were prior, but this is a first chance with full assurance that life changes dramatically because of who he is. There's a verse in our passage, verse 14, picks up on this whole idea. Watch this. He, Jesus, is the one who gave himself for us that Jesus might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. In other words, Jesus is the true master craftsman working in, in us something new. At the beginning of the pandemic, in the midst of all the stress, one of the, uh, one of the things that Vicky and I would do is that we'd pop on the repair shop. Have you ever seen the repair shop? It's, I think it's on Netflix. It's a British show. And what they would, they would have these, uh, just these incredible master craftspeople that would 
know how to repair little gears or, or work with textiles or work with wood or repaint something. And, and so people throughout Britain would bring in their heirlooms, their family heirlooms. And, and these technicians could take something that looked like it was ready for the trash heap and they would restore it to something wonderful and beautiful. Well, it turns out that Jesus is our master craftsman. That he knows how to work with hearts and minds and souls, with wills. He knows how to come alongside people and work transformation, provide forgiveness, working with love and brings us from death to life. Look at verse 11 and 12 now. We've already looked at 11, so we'll go through that. For the grace of God has appeared. And here's what the grace of God has, is doing, bringing salvation for all people. We continue that idea on in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is what the grace of God is doing the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ is training us to renounce stuff and to live for stuff. Imagine this. Imagine if LeBron James uh, invited you to his house for a week and you just spent all week long with him and, and you guys would talk basketball and he'd take you out on the court and he would show you and demonstrate how to, how to just play the game with such finesse and insight. And if basketball isn't your thing, what, what if it's cooking? And, and Bobby Flay was the one that gave you a call, and he said, hey, come on over. Spend the week at my house. Let's um, cook in the morning, cook in the afternoon. We'll just really explore all of it. In the evenings, you're talking about the very things you made and, and just a whole new approach to cooking. And if that's not your thing, what if it's Minecraft? And... and Knowing even though that, uh, uh, that Technoblade died last um, June, but what if before he had died, what if, what if he had come along and he spent a week with you? And, and not just watching his YouTubes, but, but being able to come along and just sit next to you at your computer and showing you the insights that he had learned over his experience Well, in a similar way, God's grace becomes our teacher. The word here is not the technical word for teaching. It's a word that actually means um, more along the line, the idea of trainer or uh, that we're going to be schooled in something, brought up, raised in something. It has a connotation of a parent coming alongside a child. And God's grace in Jesus Christ schools us in the way of God training us in behaviors associated with God's kingdom. Here's the things to renounce if you're going to live in God's kingdom. Here are the things that you want to live in the midst of God's kingdom. And so he calls us to move away from these things. Move away from ungodliness. Renounce it. Move away from renounce worldly passions. One of the commentaries I was reading this past week on this passage uh, by Robert Yarbrough he makes this comment, the bent of all humans is to languish in lamentable behavior and outlooks. Let me just read that again, because it's really rather dire. I don't know why I'm sm smiling, but I, I think it just all kinds of rings true. We all know this too well. 
the bent of all humans is to languish in lamentable behavior and outlooks. Maybe we don't wake up in the morning thinking that that's going to be our plan for the day. But we know some software that runs in our brains. Some software that seems to get us into that trap every single day. Software like this. I deserve and you don't. It's mine, not yours. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm better, you're worse. I want, you can't have. I'm in charge, you're not. And the software plays in our heads. And it works its way out in little microways, macroways, and we experience a different kind of life, a bent toward languishing in lamentable behavior and outlooks. And so Paul tells Titus, listen, God's grace in Jesus Christ is training us to renounce these behaviors. If that's what we're to move away from, we're also given something to move toward. Given something to move toward that we would move toward, and the list here is self-control, self-control, uprightness, and godly lives. It's interesting when you look at the language in, uh, in these letters, there's actually a bunch of words that only appear once in the New Testament that Paul's using uh, a different set of vocabulary in these letters. But we have a number of words for self-control in the two paragraphs that we read. And so there's this idea that it talks about be sensible, that we would have soundness to us, that our lives would be sensible, sound lives. Uprightness speaks to being uh, one who lives justly and righteously, that we seek the well-being of the people around us. And then to talk about godly lives is to talk about devotion, that we live devoted lives. So if we're going to move away from some stuff, we move towards some stuff. If we're called then to move away from ungodliness and worldly passions, we're called to move toward self-control and uprightness and godly lives. Maybe it's made the connection in your mind. It's the very thing that the Spirit of God is working in us, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, God at work in us, training us, schooling us, working these things that we would participate with God's Spirit. These are the things we move toward. I also just wanted to bring our attention to that last phrase, in this present age, in this present age, Our relationship with God is not just for something in the future. It's meant to make all the difference today. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Do you feel grace? Do you feel Jesus' life and love for you? Feeling God's grace as a game changer in your life may be something for some of us that's more associated when we first came to know who Christ is. And yet there can be times when maybe it's a song that we sing or, or, or an experience we have in the midst of life or, or some kind of experience where we have our own experience of shame and then we sense God's forgiveness for us and, and we have that feeling. 
Sometimes feelings can come and go. So let me also ask the question, do you know it? Do you know God's grace? Talked about a software, an unhealthy software. God's grace is like a code, a new code that comes in and is meant and intended to replace that old software and that new code that says, for God so loved you that he sent his son into this world. It's a game changer code to know God's grace in Jesus Christ as a truth, the truth, to speak new ways into our lives. God's grace in Jesus, in his crucifixion, his resurrection, and in his reign is the ultimate game changer. It is our new beginning. All right, so if that's new beginnings, let's talk then about new relationships. In this, we look to Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You know, if you go online today and you go to sign up for an air flight, you are given options. You can have basic economy where you will be uncomfortable no matter what you do. And you get to pay for that, by the way. You can choose basic economy, you can choose economy, premium economy, uh, business, or first class. Now, following Jesus does not come with those kind of options. There is but one response to the gift of who Jesus Christ is. There's one response to that new beginning. The ultimate price has been paid and full devotion is called for. That's what we're called into, is full devotion, not meter devotion, not going, you know, God, I'm great, thanks for Jesus. I think I'm just going to go with the basic economy package. I just don't want too much of that religious stuff. We're going to look at what this new call is on our life. But as we go into this part of our passage, I want us to make sure we understand what this passage is not doing what this passage is not doing. It's not forcing us into specific roles. We'll go through it again and and we'll point out, but it's not not forcing us into specific roles. So if you heard that uh, uh, as we read through it the first time and you're concerned, you're wondering, wait, does this even apply today? What's going on here? Is this trying to force us back into these uh, type of roles? So what is the passage doing? It's bringing intentionality to how we live and the relationships that we have. Bringing intentionality to how we live and to the relationships that we have. So let's go ahead and read it again. This is uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. You can picture a community, a community of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and they had been living one way and, and now Paul is encouraging Titus, here's what you teach them, here's what you call them into. And he's saying, here's a people group, the older man, would you call them into this new way of living? And then he says, older women, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, or slaves to much wine. And then he starts describing this relationship with others in the community. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. 
This is not saying that every woman has to have uh, children or has to be married or it's not calling into those roles. But those who are in those roles to bring that kind of intentionality, the kingdom intentionality to those relationships, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, Working at home could be a broad understanding. We know elsewhere that there were people, there were females working outside the home. And, and so here, even working at the home can have a marketplace feel and connection to it. But whatever they're doing, that they bring this intentionality, that the word of God uh, may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then almost as Paul is considering Titus among the younger men, just shifts into speaking directly to him. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. He goes on to speak about slaves or bondservants. And here he's not making an argument in favor of slavery, and he's not necessarily addressing slavery as an institution. He's talking about people living their faith out in the context in which they live. We'll actually talk more about slavery when we get to the letter to Philemon. But here he says, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In the midst of our lives, to live out the reality of our new beginning by living in new relationships. So our new beginning calls for a new way of living. It's true for older men and older women and young women and their husbands and children and younger men and bondservants, and it's true for Titus himself. And when you take all those words together in the whole of the text, there are so many descriptors given. We do not have time to go through all of them. All those descriptors we could categorize under those three that we've already explored self-control, uprightness, godly lives. Our new beginning puts, in this, puts us in a new relationship with God and it puts us in a new relationship with one another. As I was reflecting on this this past week, I kept thinking about different aspects to our own congregation, celebrating the ways that our church already lives this out, this new kind of relationship connecting us together. You know, in our church, we have uh, ministry to children where uh, older women and older men or young, young men and young women are coming in and they're making a difference in children's lives, not just their own children, but the children of other families as well. We have a youth ministry where same things are taking place, and we even have older youth reaching out to younger youth, letting the, the new reality that we have in Jesus Christ impact the way that they relate to one another. We have life groups and Bible studies. We have 1820 discipleship groups where people are saying, I'm going to live intentionally in this relationship for the well-being, the godliness of another person. We have the Great Banquet and Fourth Day groups. We have Kairos ministry where people are going into prisons and saying, you matter, you matter to God. And I want you to know that relationship and you're called into a new life. We have our ministry with the Dream Center. We could go on and on and on where people are stepping forward because of the new beginning that they have had. Our programs, however, do not have proprietary rights on ministry. 
We design programs for ministry. Ministry is what matters. Programs are, our programs are designed, but they, they don't have proprietary rights on ministry. You can minister right where you are. Maybe there is a new relationship you need to have in your sphere of influence. Maybe at work or on the street in which you live. Maybe in your extended family. And out of your new beginning, out of our new beginnings, we can reach out to others. In the name of Christ, bring that intentionality. In Scripture, we find out once we were not a people, but now we are a people. That happened because of our new beginning in Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul writes about this in his letter to the Ephesians. Here's what he says. He goes, and he, God, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That's church leaders. Did you get that list? And God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, church leaders. God gave church leaders. Here's what they're called to do. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. He didn't give all those church leaders to do all the ministry. He gave those church leaders to equip all of us for the work of ministry. God gave Titus. God gave Paul. God gave Titus. And then Paul's reminded, Titus, here's your calling. Equip the people to live these lives, to live out of the new beginning that they have had. Paul goes on to write, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our calling. And this really is the grand adventure. It's a grand adventure of the Christian way. This is everyday Christianity as a grand adventure that we have been given a new beginning, a game changer in Jesus Christ in Easter, a game changer that we would live that new life that has been given to us. God's grace schooling us to be godly. God's grace schooling us to be like Jesus. God's grace giving us a new beginning that calls us to a new living. God's grace giving us a new beginning that calls for new ways of speaking and relating to the people around us. In other words, Jesus is indeed the ultimate game changer. And so let us choose to live every day according to his love. Let's pray together. God, we can wonder from a day-to-day basis what you see when you look into us. You know it all. There's nothing we can hide from you. You know, you know everything about us. You know how we can, in many ways, discount what Jesus did for us. We can One moment, celebrate the new beginning we have in Christ and then just go with the old software and not pay attention to any of the new code that you have written in us. Please do forgive us for these things. Through the power of your spirit, would you alert us yet again, not only to the truth of our new beginning in Jesus Christ, but to living in such a way to where our lives teach, they, they share, they speak forward 
who Christ is and who you are, that we would choose to live our lives, that we would show, that we would put ourselves out there as an example to others. God, thanks for the new beginning. Thanks for the new way of living and the new relationships that we have. And may all of our choices in the midst of, midst of what you're doing bring glory to you. Thank you, God. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.